This podcast was produced for Quad by wordofmouthcreative.com. Quad is provocative and popular. Hello everybody and welcome to January's episode of the Quadcast. My name is Chris Wakeman and I'm your host, going through all the little things that you can get on with at Quad this month. Uh, we're going to kick things off with an interview that I did with Gareth Unwin, who is the producer of The King's Speech, the uh, massive Oscar-tipped movie starring Colin Firth and Geoffrey Rush, which is doing very well at the moment. It's showing at Quad until Thursday the 3rd of February, so make sure you get down and watch it with us. Gareth talked a little bit about the uh, production of the film, how much it took in terms of getting it all put together in the first place, and some of his future projects. Quad is groundbreaking, inspiring, fulfilling and fun. I'm here with Gareth Unwin, who is the producer of The King's Speech uh, through his company Bedlam Productions. Thanks for joining me, Gareth. The first thing to ask is how you got hold of the story in the first place and you know, what made you think to turn it into a film? The idea, the genesis of the project basically was a stage play that was written by David Seedler, the writer, that I, um, it came across my desk in 2005. And whilst there was a, a germ of an idea in there, the telling was, was, was not necessarily cinematic. So the early stages of development were basically working with David to bring out the film that could exist within. Whilst it was still a stage play form, we realised the benefit of trying to attach a, a decent name. So we were a little bit cheeky, and we knew someone that uh, we knew someone that knew someone that lived two doors down from Jeffrey Rush. So we persuaded them under the cover of darkness to slip the stage play through his front door. And sort of, you know, a week later, I got this three-page email from his manager, just saying, "This isn't how we do business, etc., etc., etc." Sort of really, really giving me a rough ride. But it, the last line was, "But Jeffrey likes it. We should talk." So we had, um, you know, we had the semblance of a, a screenplay. We had uh, significant acting talent in Jeffrey, provisionally attached. And it was really uncertain times, you know, this was just on the cusp of the Lehman Brothers falling through, you know, the independent film market was incredibly shaky and I was fortunate enough to be introduced to Ian and Emil at Seesaw Films and we felt with their connections and my background that we could really give this the opportunity to fly. And that's when things really started to happen. Um, Tom Hooper got attached through a slightly obscure route also. We had wanted to hear what the stage play sounded like, so we put on a rehearsed reading. Basically, we needed a couple of Aussies that would sit in, and um, uh, Tom's mother's Australian by birth. So she happily came along, and the story goes that basically she left the auditorium and placed a call straight to Tom and said, I found your next film. So even before we'd started to move in into finance and sales, we had, you know, uh, an A-list star, you know, an A-list quality director, and things really were starting to get up ahead of steam. The buzz is there. It's been talked about for quite a while. How much are you aware of that when you're making it in the first place and you're starting to put things like this together? Well, the interesting thing is that some of the, the, the few dissenting voices, you know, basically claim that this is an awards-driven movie that's been engineered to work as such, and nothing's further from the truth. You know, all of us uh, who were key to the development of the, the film and setting the film up wanted to make this movie, wanted to tell this story, you know, and whether it had been on a much smaller scale with, you know, lesser-known cast or whether it had been a big tentpole studio movie, what was important was that we had a an integrity to the story that wanted to be told. How aware of it am I? I've got a Google alert that's set up, you know, so once a day the inbox gets the, the latest uh, updates. I mean, it is incredible. I mean, we, on the streets of Telluride and 
you know, in the gondolas at Telluride, people were finding time to come and talk to us and, and sort of congratulate us on the movie. The first screening got a standing ovation. You know, I sat next to the ex-head of the Academy, who was two seats down, said it's the best thing he's seen in ten years. So all of this was, like, really good fun. And I think that then crystallised in Toronto. You know, I mean, the Roy Pearson Hall seats 2,500 people, I think it is. And to have that body of people in a shared experience and to react so well to it, you know, and it went on to win the Audience Award. I think it's easy to sort of get caught up in the awards chat, and I know that there's a lot of people that are flying our flag on on, on our behalf, but... I think, you know, we're, we're keeeping very level-headed about it. We've made a film we're in, incredibly proud of, you know, and that seems to be resonating with an audience. And, you know, if we get noticed by the various bodies, then, then that's great. And, you know, particularly if that's coming from, from your peers and, and people maybe from different sectors of the world that are, that are recognising the film, then that's great stuff. But it's not, it's not our place to, to wax lyrical on that. We'll leave it to you guys. You said about getting the story and trying to turn it into something that could be filmable how much does poetic license and historic accuracy how much do they play into it when you are trying to turn something into a feature film well i think first and foremost um it's a public domain story you know um these were real life people that did live and their life was documented so there is a certain amount of information that's readily available where if there are any um sort of creative uh, or any creative license taken is that you know at the end of the day no one was in those rooms apart from those two people so I think the therapy sessions if you're to look at any part of the of the film are possibly most open to criticism for not being authentic but we actually found um, one of the art department who had gone out to do some research actually found the great-great-grandson of Lionel Logue and during the course of meeting him and talking him through the project, he said, well, I've got this box of great-granddad's crap up in the loft. Do you want to see it? And brought down this very sort of dusty, cobwebby um, box of uh, personal effects. And within that was Lionel Logue's diaries. So nine weeks out from the shoot, we come across the diaries that gave an insight into... Not so much, I mean, he, was, he had, he had honoured his confidentiality with the relationship with Bertie, but what he did write about was the techniques he was using at the time, the types of things that they were doing. Two of the lines in the film that get the biggest laughs are actually Bertie's and, and Lionel Lokes. You know, Lionel does comment on the fact that he had this really flabby tummy. And there's a, a moment in the big speech at the end where at the end of the, the speech, Logue picks up Bertie on the fact that he, uh, he stammered and stuttered at a couple of points. And Bertie simply says, well, I had to throw in a few, so they knew it was me. The last person that uttered those words in reality was King George VI. You know, that was actually documented in the diary. If we move now away from the King's speech, I'm interested very much in, like, your work as a producer as well, because I'm aware that Bedlam has worked in uh, documentary as well. Is there a distinct difference that you've found moving between documentary and feature film? I think... What it does give us opportunity is that we, we work across a, a broad range of, of, of storytelling. You know, I mean, my first film as a producer was a, a, a film called Exam, which had a very limited UK release. We made it on less than half a million quid. Um, you know, it got, Stuart, rightly so, a, a BAFTA nomination for Best Debut. So, you know, that was one type of filmmaking. You know, my next film as a producer is The King's Speech, which is, a, you know, a $15 million movie with Colin Firth and Geoffrey Rush in it. You know, the film I'm working on at the moment is this mad 3D fantasy kids' adventure that we've been shooting in a, a warehouse in Poland for the last sort of uh, 24 months. So, 
I think what excites all of us at Bedlam is story, storytelling through whatever means, and that can be a short, that can be a doodle, that can be a cartoon, it can be a documentary, or it can be a film such as, such as this one. Your background as well is um, assistant directing and uh, project manager as well. How do they interact with your work now as a producer? I always had aspirations to either produce or direct, and I'm not necessarily writing off the latter just yet. I mean, what I was keen to do was to have opportunity to learn how the machine works. And there is, there is the business of making films, and then there's filmmaking as a business. And that's not me trying to come up with cutisms, but, you know, th- where time and money disappear very, very quickly is, is on the set when you're shooting. And so I wanted to really feel that I knew the machine inside out in terms of how a unit works, you know, the different relationships at play. And I think the benefit that we've re- reaped from that is the fact that, you know, there's not a lot of waste on my productions and it means that the money goes on the screen and that's very, you know, that's very important to us. It's funny, it's sort of, you know, after 13 years of being a first AD and moaning about the producers, I've actually ended up as one. <laughs> Your next project, The Flying Machine, is uh, being made to coincide with uh, Chopin's 200th anniversary. Is that a direct way of you saying the importance between music and film and you know, the relationship that they have together? Um, I'd love to think it was that nuanced. What's incredible about having the opportunity to do The Flying Machine is that I'd worked on Peter and the Wolf, which won, won an Academy Award for Best Short, and that was the first time I'd seen animation and um, score so closely tied together. Now... Having the opportunity to revisit that um, is incredibly interesting, and the fact that we are, you know, solely concentrating on the twenty-four etudes that Chopin wrote, which were these practice pieces that he did for his students, we've ended up with this behemoth of a, of a film. I mean, I remember it was supposed to be a thirty-minute stop-frame animation and a forty-minute documentary, and we've now got a seventy-five-minute three D cross-platform extravaganza starring Heather Graham and, and Lang Lang and 24 short films. You know, it's a monster. You mentioned Exam before, and that's very much a pared-down story set in a one room, confines of that. Um, I mean, recognisable faces, but at the same time, fairly unknown cast members. And then compare that to The King's Speech, which is just a huge roster of an ensemble cast with that much more scale. Was that a, an interesting learning curve to go from one immediately to the next? Films have their their own unique life, and I think it's very, very rare for for one to necessarily inform or feed the other one. They tend to be very standalone items, you know, that have the relationships between cast and crew, the story that's being told, the scale of the budget, you know, it can be from everything from, you know, what the director likes in his coffee to, you know, working with Colin Firth and sitting in in a pub in... Um, in Ely, um, just in this boozer with Geoffrey Rush and Colin Firth and Tom waxing lyrical about, you know, um, who did the best work during the course of that day. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy and it would be even crazier to try and apply any logic to it. Quad is a thriving centre for art and film where there's always lots to see and do. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, and just to let you know, the King's Speech is showing daily at Quad until Thursday the 3rd of February. Check it out www.derbyquad.co.uk for more details. It's a new year at Quad, and as such we've got a brand new pricing structure in place, still giving you the best value around for high-quality art and cinema entertainment in Derbyshire. For all our details of our full price and concessions tickets, visit the box office or check on our website. And remember, you can still see films at the Midweek Treat, Support Environment Screenings and Cinebaby Screenings at cheaper rates, and there's also Cinecuds every weekend. 
Plus, for extra value, why not get one of our quad memberships at £25 for a single membership or £45 for a joint membership? Or if you're a student, remember you can come into the box office and pick up a student membership for £5, which also gets you a free ticket. A reminder that Quad's partnership with NT Live is still up and running, an exciting initiative to broadcast live performances of national theatre plays onto cinema screens worldwide via a satellite link. We've got fantastic upcoming productions of Donmar Warehouse's King Leo in February, Frankenstein, directed by Danny Boyle, in March, and The Cherry Orchard, which is showing on the 30th of June at 6.45. Check out the box office for more details. Tickets for these events are £12.50 or £10 for concessions and Quad members. Quad is inviting participants aged 50 and over to form a supportive community that creates art together whilst raising issues around health and well-being. Ladies and gentlemen are welcome. The club is called Gold Squad and is running every Wednesday from 10.30am until 12.30pm and it's absolutely free to take part. You can contact Charlotte Convey for more information and she can be reached at charlottec at derbyquad.co.uk. And a reminder that there are plenty of other fun courses for people to take part in in the new year, including a creative writing course from idea to publication starting on the 1st of February, Back in Black, Noir on Film, David Lester's new course running from the 3rd to the 24th of February on Thursdays, and digital and creative courses including digital photography basics, Adobe Photoshop basics, screenwriting and scoring and sound design for film. Information on all of these courses is available in the brochure or ask at the box office for more details. Quad is a thriving centre for art and film, where there's always lots to see and do. Right, that's your lot for another month. I'll be back in February with more information about upcoming events at Quad. And a reminder as well that you can take part in the plethora of free events in and around Quad over the space of the month, including the Film Quiz, the Poetry Night, Book Squad, Cine Friends, Scrabblicious and the Creative Derby Socials, all taking part in Quad. Just check out the brochure for more details. If you've got any feedback that you want to give us about the Quadcast or anything going on in Quad in general, you can email me at chriswatderbyquad.co.uk. at derbyquad.co.uk. Thanks as always to producer Mark, and thanks to you for listening. This podcast was produced for Quad by wordofmouthcreative.com.